the Catechetical Lectures of St. Cyril, Archbishop of Jerusalem. Sixth Lecture From the Prophet Isaiah Sanctify yourselves unto me, O islands. Israel is saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. They shall not be ashamed, neither shall they be confounded forever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed also be his only begotten Son. For with the thought of God, let the thought of Father at once be joined, that the ascription of glory to the Father and the Son may be made indivisible. For the Father hath not one glory and the Son another, but one and the same, since he is the Father's only begotten Son. And when the Father is glorified, the Son also shares the glory with him, because the glory of the Son flows from his Father's honor. And again, when the Son is glorified, the Father of so great a blessing is highly honored. Now though the mind is most rapid in its thoughts, yet the tongue needs words and a long recital of intermediary speech. For the eye embraces at once a multitude of the starry choir, but when anyone wishes to describe them one by one, which is the morning star and which the evening star, and which each one of them, he has need of many words. In like manner, again, the mind in the briefest moment compasses earth and sea and all the bounds of the universe. But what it conceives in an instant, it uses many words to describe. Yet forcible as is the example I have mentioned, still it is after all weak and inadequate. For of God we speak not all we ought, for that is known to him only. But so much as the capacity of human nature has received, and so much as our weakness can bear. For we explain not what God is, but candidly confess that we have not exact knowledge concerning him. For in what concerns God, to confess our ignorance is the best knowledge. Therefore magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together, all of us in common, for one alone is powerless. Nay, rather, even if we be all united together, we shall yet not do it as we ought. I mean, not you only who are here present, but even if all the nurslings of the whole church throughout the world, both that which now is and that which shall be, should meet together, they would not be able worthily to sing the praises of their shepherd. A great and honorable man was Abraham, but only great in comparison with men. And when he came before God, then speaking the truth candidly, he said, I am earth and ashes. He did not say earth and then cease, lest he should call himself by the name of that great element. But he added, and ashes, that he might represent his perishable and frail nature. Is there anything, he saith, smaller or lighter than ashes? For take, saith he, the comparison of ashes to a house, of a house to a city, a city to a province, a province to the Roman Empire, 
in the Roman Empire to the whole earth and all its bounds, and the whole earth to the heaven in which it is embosomed. The earth, which bears the same proportion to the heaven as the center to the whole circumference of a wheel, for the earth is no more than this in comparison with the heaven. Consider, then, that this first heaven, which is seen, is less than the second, and the second than the third. For so far scripture has named them, not that they are only so many, but because it was expedient for us to know so many only. And when in thought thou hast surveyed all the heavens, not yet will even the heavens be able to praise God as he is. Nay, not if they should resound with a voice louder than thunder. But if these great vaults of the heavens cannot worthily sing God's praise, when shall earth and ashes, the smallest and least of things existing, be able to send up a worthy hymn of praise to God, or worthily speak of God, that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and holdeth the inhabitants thereof as grasshoppers? If any man attempt to speak of God, let him first describe the bounds of the earth. Thou dwellest on the earth, and the limit of this earth, which is thy dwelling, thou knowest not. How then shalt thou be able to form a worthy thought of its creator? Thou beholdest the stars, but their maker thou beholdest not. Count these which are visible, and then describe him who is invisible, who telleth the number of the stars, and calleth them all by their names. Violent rains lately came pouring down upon us, and nearly destroyed us. Number the drops in this city alone. Nay, I say not in the city, but number the drops on thine own house for one single hour, if thou canst. But thou canst not. Learn, then, thine own weakness. Learn from this instance the mightiness of God, for he hath numbered the drops of rain, which have been poured down on all the earth, not only now, but in all time. The sun is a work of God, which, great though it be, is but a spot in comparison with the whole heaven. First, gaze steadfastly upon the sun, and then curiously scan the Lord of the sun, Seek not the things that are too deep for thee, neither search out the things that are above thy strength. What is commanded thee, think thereupon. But someone will say, If the divine substance is incomprehensible, why then dost thou discourse of these things? So then, because I cannot drink up all the river, am I not even to take in moderation what is expedient for me? Because with eyes so constituted as mine, I cannot take in all the sun. Am I not even to look up, look upon him enough to satisfy my wants? Or again, because I have entered into a great garden, cannot eat all the supply of fruits, wouldst thou have me go away altogether hungry? I praise and glorify him that made us, for it is a divine command which saith, let every breath praise the Lord. I am attempting now to glorify the Lord, but not to describe him, knowing nevertheless that I shall fall short of glorifying him worthily, yet deeming it a work of piety, 
even to attempt it at all. For the Lord Jesus encourageth my weakness by saying, No man hath seen God at any time. What then, some man will say, is it not written, The little one's angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven? Yes, but the angels see God not as he is, but as far as they themselves are capable. For it is Jesus himself who saith, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. The angels therefore behold as much as they can bear, and archangels as much as they are able, and thrones and dominions more than the former, but yet less than his worthiness. For with the Son, the Holy Ghost alone can rightly behold him. For he searcheth all things, and knoweth even the deep things of God, as indeed the only begotten Son also with the Holy Ghost knoweth the Father fully. For neither, saith he, knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. For he fully beholdeth, and according as each man can bear, revealeth God through the Spirit, since the only begotten Son, together with the Holy Ghost, is a partaker of the Father's Godhead. He who was begotten knoweth him who begot, and he who begat knoweth him who is begotten. Since angels then are ignorant, for to each according to his own capacity doth the only begotten reveal him through the Holy Ghost, as we have said, let no man be ashamed to confess his ignorance. I am speaking now, as all do on occasion. But how we speak we cannot tell. How then can I declare him who hath given us speech? I, who have a soul, and cannot tell its distinctive properties, how shall I be able to describe its giver? For devotion, it suffices us simply to know that we have a God, a God who is one, a living, an ever-living God, always like unto himself, who has no father, none mightier than himself, no successor to thrust him out from his kingdom, who in name is manifold, in power infinite, in substance uniform. For though he is called good, and just, and almighty, and sabaot, he is not on that account diverse and various. But being one and the same, he sends forth countless operations of his Godhead, not exceeding here and deficient there, but being in all things like unto himself, not great in loving kindness only, and little in wisdom, but with wisdom and loving-kindness in equal power, not seeing in part, and in part devoid of sight, but being all eye, and all ear, and all mind, not like us perceiving in part, and in part not knowing, for such a statement were blasphemous and unworthy of the divine substance. He foreknoweth the things that be. He is holy, and almighty, and excelleth all in goodness, and majesty, and wisdom, of whom we can declare neither beginning, nor form, nor shape. 
For ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, saith Holy Scripture. Wherefore Moses saith also to the Israelites, And take ye good heed to your own souls, for ye saw no similitude. For if it is wholly impossible to imagine his likeness, how shall thought come near his substance? There have been many imaginations by many persons, and all have failed. Some have thought that God is fire, others that he is, as it were, a man with wings, because of a true text still understood, Thou shalt hide me under the shadow of thy wings. They forgot that our Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten, speaks in like manner concerning himself to Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen doth gather her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. For whereas God's protecting power was conceived as wings, they, failing to understand this, sank down to the level of things human, and supposed that the unsearchable exists in the likeness of man. Some, again, dare to say that he has seven eyes, because it is written, Seven eyes of the Lord looking upon the whole earth. For if he has but seven eyes surrounding him in part, his seeing is therefore partial and not perfect. But to say this of God is blasphemous, for we must believe that God is in all things perfect, according to our Savior's word, which saith, your Father in heaven is perfect, perfect in sight, perfect in power, perfect in greatness, perfect in foreknowledge, perfect in goodness, perfect in justice, perfect in loving kindness, not circumscribed in any space, but the creator of all space, existing in all and circumscribed by none. Heaven is his throne, but higher is he that sitteth thereon, and earth is his footstool, but his power reacheth unto things under the earth. One he is, everywhere present, beholding all things, perceiving all things, creating all things through Christ. For all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. A fountain of every good, abundant and unfailing, a river of blessings, an eternal light of never-failing splendor, an insuperable power condescending to our infirmities, whose very name we dare not hear. Wilt thou find a footstep of the Lord, saith Job, or hast thou attained unto the least things which the Almighty hath made? If the least of his works are incomprehensible, Shall he be comprehended who made them all? Eye hath not seen, and ear hath not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. If the things which God hath prepared are incomprehensible to our thoughts, how can we comprehend with our mind himself who hath prepared them? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, saith the Apostle. If his judgments and his ways are incomprehensible, 
can he himself be comprehended? God then, being thus great, and yet greater, for even were I to change my whole substance into tongue, I could not speak his excellence, nay more, not even if all angels should assemble, could they ever speak his worth. God being therefore so great in goodness and majesty, man hath yet dared to say to a stone that he hath graven, Thou art my God. O oh, monstrous blindness, that for majesty so great came down so low. The tree which was planted by God and nursed by the rain and afterwards burnt and turned into ashes by the fire, this is addressed as God, and the true God is despised. But the wickedness of idolatry grew yet more prodigal, and cat and dog and wolf were worshipped instead of God. The man-eating lion also was worshipped instead of God, the most loving friend of man. The snake and the serpent, counterfeit of him who thrust us out of paradise, were worshipped and he who planted paradise was despised. And I am ashamed to say, and yet do say it, even onions were worshipped among some. Wine was given to make glad the heart of man, and Dionysus was worshipped instead of God. God made corn by saying, Let the earth bring forth grass, yielding seed after his kind and after his likeness, the bread may strengthen man's heart. Why then was Demeter worshipped? Fire cometh forth from striking stones together, even to this day. How then was Hephaestus the creator of fire? Whence came the polytheistic error of the Greeks? God has no body. Whence then the adulteries alleged among those who are by them called gods? I say nothing of the transformations of Zeus into a swan. I am ashamed to speak of his transformations into a bull, for bellowings are unworthy of a god. The god of the Greeks has been found an adulterer. Yet are they not ashamed, for if he is an adulterer, let him not be called a god. They tell also of deaths and falls and thunderstrokes of their gods. Seest thou from how great a height and how low they have fallen? Was it without reason then that the Son of God came down from heaven? Or was it that he might heal so great a wound? Was it without reason that the Son came? Or was it in order that the Father might be acknowledged? Thou hast learned what moved the Only Begotten to come down from the throne at God's right hand. The Father was despised. A son must needs correct the error, for he through whom all things were made must bring them all as offerings to the Lord of all. The wound must be healed, for what could be worse than this disease, that a stone should be worshipped instead of God? Not among the heathen only did the devil make these assaults. For many of those who are falsely called Christians and wrongfully addressed by the sweet name of Christ have ere now impiously dared to banish God from his own creation. 
I mean the brood of heretics, those most ungodly men of evil name, pretending to be friends of Christ, but utterly hating him. For he who blasphemes the father of the Christ is an enemy of the Son. These men have dared to speak of two godheads, one good and one evil. Oh, monstrous blindness! If a godhead, then assuredly good. But if not good, why called a godhead? For if goodness is an attribute of God, if loving kindness, beneficence, almighty power are proper to God, then of two things, one, either in calling him God, let the name and operation be united, or if they would rob him of his operations, let them not give him the bare name. Heretics have dared to say that there are two gods, and of good and evil, two sources, and these unbegotten. If both are unbegotten, it is certain that they are also equal and both mighty. How then doth the light destroy the darkness? And do they ever exist together, or are they separated? Together they cannot be, for what fellowship hath light with darkness, saith the apostle? But if they are far from each other, it is certain that they hold also each his own place. And if they hold their own separate places, we are certainly in the realm of one God, and certainly worship one God. For thus we must conclude, even if we assent to their folly, that we must worship one God. Let us examine also what they say of the good God. Hath he power or no power? If he hath power, how did evil arise against his will? And how doth the evil substance intrude if he be not willing? For if he knows but cannot hinder it, they charge him with want of power. But if he has the power, yet hinders not, they accuse him of treachery. Mark, too, their want of sense. At one time they say that the evil one hath no communion with the good God in the creation of the world. But at another time they say that he hath the fourth part only. Also, they say that the good God is the Father of Christ. But Christ they call this Son. If, therefore, according to them, the world was made by the evil one, and the Son is in the world, how is the Son of the good an unwilling slave in the kingdom of the evil? We bemire ourselves in speaking of these things, but we do it lest any of those present should from ignorance fall into the mire of the heretics. I know that I have defiled my own mouth and the ears of my listeners, Yet it is expedient, for it is much better to hear absurdities charged against others than to fall into them from ignorance. Far better that thou know the mire and hate the mire and hate it than unawares fall into it. For the godless system of the heresies is a road with many branches, and whenever a man has strayed from the one straight way, then he falls down precipices again and again. The inventor of all heresy was Simon Magus, that Simon who in the Acts of the Apostles thought to purchase with money the unsaleable grace of the Spirit, and heard the words, 
Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, and the rest. Concerning whom also it is written, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. This man, after he had been cast out by the apostles, came to Rome, and gaining over one Helena, a harlot, was the first that dared with blasphemous mouth to say that it was himself who appeared on Mount Sinai as the Father, and afterwards appeared among the Jews, not in real flesh but in seeming, as Christ Jesus, and afterwards as the Holy Spirit whom Christ promised to send as the Paraclete. And he so deceived the city of Rome that Claudius set up his statue, and wrote beneath it, in the language of the Romans, Simoni Deo Sancto, which being interpreted signifies to Simon the Holy God. As the delusion was extending, Peter and Paul, a noble pair, chief rulers of the church, arrived and set the error right. And when the supposed god Simon wished to show himself off, they straightway showed him as a corpse. For Simon promised to rise aloft to heaven, and came riding in a demon's chariot on the air. But the servants of God fell on their knees, and having shown that agreement of which Jesus spake, that if two of you shall agree concerning anything that they shall ask, it shall be done unto them, they launched the weapon of their concord in prayer against Magus, and struck him down to the earth. Marvelous though it was, yet no marvel. For Peter was there, who carrieth the keys of heaven, and nothing wonderful, for Paul was there, who was caught up to the third heaven and into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. These brought the supposed God down from the sky to earth, thence to be taken down to the regions below the earth. In this man first the serpent of wickedness appeared, but when one head had been cut off, the root of wickedness was found again with many heads. For Corinthus made havoc of the church, and Menander, and Carpocrates, Ebionides, also, and Marcion, that mouthpiece of ungodliness. For he who proclaimed different gods, one the good, the other the just, contradicts the Son when he says, O righteous Father. And he who says again that the Father is one, and the maker of the world another, opposes the Son when he says, if then God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the furnace of fire, and who maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Here again is a second inventor of more mischief, this Marcion. For being confuted by the testimonies of the Old Testament, which are quoted in the New, he was the first who dared to cut those testimonies out and leave the preaching of the word of faith without witness, thus effacing the true God, and sought to undermine the church's faith as if there were no heralds of it. He again was succeeded by another, Basilides, of evil name and dangerous character, a preacher of impurities. The contest of wickedness was aided also by Valentinus, a preacher of thirty gods. The Greeks tell of but few, 
the man who was called, but more truly was not, a Christian, extended the delusion to fall 30. He says, too, that Bithus the abyss, for it became him, as being an abyss of wickedness, to begin his teaching from the abyss, begot silence, and of silence begot the word. This Bithus was worse than the Zeus of the Greeks, who was united to his sister. For silence was said to be the child of Bithus. Dost thou see the absurdity invested with a show of Christianity? Wait a little, and thou wilt be shocked at his impiety, for he asserts that of this Bithus were begotten eight aeons, and of them ten and of them other twelve, male and female. But whence is the proof of these things? See their silliness from their fabrications. Whence hast thou the proof of the thirty aeons? Because, saith he, it is written, that Jesus was baptized, being thirty years old. But even if he was baptized when thirty years old, what sort of demonstration is this from thirty years? Are there then five gods because he brake five loaves among five thousand? Or because he had twelve disciples, must there also be twelve gods? And even this is still little compared with the impieties which follow. For the last of the deities being, as he dares to speak, both male and female, this, he says, is wisdom. What impiety! For the wisdom of God is Christ, his only begotten Son. And he, by his doctrine, degraded the wisdom of God into a female element, and one of thirty, and the last fabrication. He also says that wisdom attempted to behold the first God, and not bearing his brightness, fell from heaven, and was cast out of her thirtieth place. Then she groaned, and of her groans begat the devil, and as she wept over her fall, made of her tears the sea. Mark the impiety, for of wisdom how is the devil begotten, and of prudence wickedness, or of light darkness? He says, too, that the devil begat others, some of whom created the world and that the Christ came down in order to make mankind revolt from the maker of the world. But here, whom they say Christ Jesus to be, that thou mayest detest them yet more. For they say that after wisdom had been cast down, in order that the number of thirty might not be incomplete, the nine and twenty aeons contributed each a little part, and formed the Christ. And they say that he also is both male and female. Can anything be more impious than this? Anything more wretched? I'm describing their delusion to thee in order that thou mayest hate them the more. Shun therefore their impiety, and do not even give greeting to a man of this kind lest thou have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Neither make curious inquiries, nor be willing to enter into conversation with them. 
hate all heretics, but especially him who is rightfully named after Mania, who arose not long ago in the reign of Probus. For the delusion began full seventy years ago, and there are men still living who saw him with their very eyes. But hate him not for this, that he lived a short time ago, but because of his impious doctrines, hate thou the worker of wickedness, the receptacle of all filth, who gathered up the mire of every heresy. For aspiring to become preeminent among wicked men, he took the doctrines of all, and having combined them into one heresy filled with blasphemies and all iniquity, he makes havoc of the church, or rather of those outside the church, roaming about like a lion and devouring. Heed not their fair speech, nor their supposed humility, for they are serpents, a generation of vipers. Judas, too, said, Hail, Master, even while he was betraying him. Heed not their kisses, but beware of their venom. Now, lest I seem to accuse them without reason, let me make a digression to tell who this Manes is, and in part what he teaches. For all time would fail to describe adequately the whole of his foul teaching. But for help in time of need, store up in my memory what I have said to former hearers, and will repeat to those now present, that they who know not may learn, and they who know may be reminded. Manes is not of Christian origin, God forbid, nor was he like Simon, Simon cast out of the church, neither himself nor the teachers who were before him. For he steals other men's wickedness and makes their wickedness his own. But how and in what manner thou must hear? There was in Egypt one Scythianus, a Saracen by birth, having nothing in common either with Judaism or Christianity. This man who dwelt at Alexandria and imitated the life of Aristotle composed four books. One called the Gospel, which had not the Acts of Christ, but the mere name only. And one other called the Book of Chapters, and a third of Mysteries, and a fourth, which they circulate now, the Treasure. This man had a disciple, Terebenthus by name. But when Scythianus purposed to come into Judea, and made havoc of the land, the Lord smote him with a deadly disease, and stayed the pestilence. But Terebenthus, his disciple in this wicked error, inherited his money and books and heresy, and came to Palestine. And becoming known and condemned in Judea, he resolved to pass into Persia. But lest he should be recognized there also by his name, he changed it, and called himself Budas. However, he found adversaries there also in the priest of Mithras, and being confuted in the discussion of many arguments and controversies, and at last hard-pressed, he took refuge with a certain widow. Then, having gone up on the housetop and summoned the demons of the air, whom the Manichees to this day invoke over their abominable ceremony of the fig, he was smitten of God and cast down from the housetop and expired. 
and so the second beast was cut off. The books, however, which were the records of his impiety, remained, and both these and his money the widow inherited. And having neither kinsman nor any other friend, she determined to buy with the money a boy named Cubricus, and she adopted him she adopted and educated as a son in the learning of the Persians, and thus sharpened an evil weapon against mankind. So Kubricus, the vile slave, grew up in the midst of philosophers, and on the death of the widow inherited both the books and the money. Then, lest the name of slavery might be a reproach, instead of Kubricus, he called himself Manes which in the language of the Persians signifies discourse. For as he thought himself something of a disputant, he surnamed himself Manes, as it were, an excellent master of discourse. But though he contrived for himself an honorable title according to the language of the Persians, yet the providence of God caused him to become a self-accuser even against his will, that through thinking to honor himself in Persia, he might proclaim himself among the Greeks, by name a maniac. He dared, too, to say that he was the paraclete, though it is written, but whosoever shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath no forgiveness. He committed blasphemy, therefore, by saying that he was the Holy Ghost. Let him that communicates with those heretics see with whom he is enrolling himself. The slave shook the world, since by three things the earth is shaken, and the fourth it cannot bear, if a slave became a king. Having come into public, he now began to promise things above man's power. The son of the king of the Persians was sick, and a multitude of physicians were in attendance, but Manes promised, as if he were a godly man, to cure him by prayer. With the departure of the physicians, the life of the child departed, and the man's impiety was detected. So the would-be philosopher was a prisoner, being cast into prison, not for reproving the king in the cause of truth, not for destroying the idols, but for promising to save and lying, or rather, if the truth must be told, for committing murder. For the child who might have been saved by medical treatment was murdered by this man's driving away the physicians and killing him by want of treatment. Now, as there are very many wicked things which I tell thee of him, remember first his blasphemy, second his slavery. Not that slavery is a disgrace, but that his pretending to be freeborn when he was a slave is wicked. Thirdly, the falsehood of his promise, fourthly, the murder of the child, and fifthly, the disgrace of the imprisonment. And there was not only the disgrace of the prison, but also the flight from prison. For he who called himself the paraclete and champion of the truth ran away. He was no successor of Jesus, who readily went to the cross, but this man was the reverse, a runaway. Moreover, the king of the Persians ordered the keepers of the prison to be executed. So Manes was the cause of the child's death through his vain boasting, and of the jailer's death through his flight. 
Ought then he who shared the guilt of murder to be worshipped? Ought he not to have followed the example of Jesus and said, If ye seek me, let these go their way? Ought he not to have said, like Jonas, Take me and cast me into the sea, for this storm is because of me. He escapes from the prison and comes into Mesopotamia, but there Bishop Archelaus, a shield of righteousness, encounters him. And having accused him before philosophers as judges, and having assembled an audience of Gentiles, lest, if Christians gave judgment, the judges might be thought to show favor, tell us what thou preachest, said Archelaus to Manes. And he, whose mouth was as an open sepulcher, began first with blasphemy against the maker of all things, saying, The God of the Old Testament is the author of evils. As he says of himself, I am a consuming fire. But the wise Archelaus undermined his blasphemous argument by saying, If the God of the Old Testament, as thou sayest, calls himself a fire, whose son is he who saith, I came to send fire on the earth? If thou findest fault with him who saith, The Lord killeth and maketh alive, why dost thou honor Peter, who raised up Tabitha, but struck Sapphira dead? If again thou findest fault, because he prepared fire, wherefore dost thou not find fault with him who said, Depart from me into everlasting fire? If thou findest fault with him who saith, I am God that make peace and create evil, explain how Jesus saith, I came not to send peace but a sword. Since both speak alike of two things, one, either both are good because of their agreement, or if Jesus is blameless in so speaking, why blamest thou him that saith the like in the Old Testament? Then Manes answers him, And what sort of God causes blindness? For it is Paul who said, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the gospel should shine unto them. But Archelaus made a good retort, saying, Read a little before. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled in them that are perishing. Seest thou that in them that are perishing it is veiled? For it is not right to give the things which are holy unto the dogs. Again, is it only the God of the Old Testament that hath blinded the minds of them that believe not? Hath not Jesus himself said, For this cause speak I unto them in parables, that seeing they may not see? Was it from hating them that he wished them not to see, or because of their unworthiness, since their eyes they had closed? For where there is willful wickedness, there is also a withholding of grace. For to him that hath shall be given. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he seemeth to have. But if some are right in their interpretation, we must say as follows, for it is no unworthy expression. If indeed he blinded the thoughts of them that believe not, he blinded them for a good purpose, that they might look with new sight on what is good. For he said not, he blinded their soul, but the thoughts of them that believe not. And the meaning is something of this kind. 
Blind the lewd thoughts of the lewd, and the man is saved. Blind the grasping and rapacious thought of the robber, and the man is saved. But wilt thou not understand it thus? Then there is yet another interpretation. The sun also blinds those whose sight is dim, and they whose eyes are diseased are hurt by the light and blinded. Not that the sun's nature is to blind, but that the substance of the eyes is incapable of seeing. In like manner, unbelievers, being diseased in their heart, cannot look upon the radiance of the Godhead. Nor hath he said, He hath blinded their thoughts, that they should not hear the gospel, but that the light of the glory of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ should not shine unto them. For to hear the gospel is permitted to all, but the glory of the gospel is reserved for Christ's true children only. Therefore the Lord spoke in parables to those who could not hear, but to the disciples he explained the parables in private. For the brightness of the glory is for those who have been enlightened, the blinding for them that believe not. These mysteries which the church now explains to thee who are, are passing out of the class of the catechumens is not the custom to explain to heathen. For to a heathen, we do not explain the mysteries concerning the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, nor before catechumens do we speak plainly of the mysteries. But many things we often speak in a veiled way, that the believers who know may understand, and they who know not may get no hurt. By such and many other arguments, the serpent was overthrown. Thus did Archelaus wrestle with Manes and threw him. Again, he who had fled from prison flees from this place also. And having run away from his antagonist, he comes to a very poor village, like the serpent in paradise when he left Adam and came to Eve. But the good shepherd Archelaus, taking forethought for his sheep, when he heard of his flight, straightway hastened with all speed in search of the wolf. When Manny suddenly saw his adversary, he rushed out and fled. It was, however, his last flight, for the officers of the king of Persia searched everywhere and caught the fugitive. And the sentence, which he ought to have received in the presence of Archelaus, is passed upon him by the king's officers. This Manes, whom his own disciples worship, is attested, is arrested, and brought before the king. The king reproached him with his falsehood and his flight, poured scorn upon his slavish condition, avenged the murder of his child, and condemned him also for the murder of the jailers. He commands him to be flayed after the Persian fashion. And while the rest of his body was given over for food of wild beasts, his skin, the receptacle of his vile mind, was hung up before the gates like a sack. He that called himself the Paraclete and professed to know the future knew not his own flight and capture. This man has had three disciples, Thomas and Bodas and Hermas. Let none read the gospel according to Thomas, for it is the work not of one of the twelve apostles, but of one of the three wicked disciples of Manes. Let none associate with the soul-destroying Manichaeans 
who by decoctions of chaff counterfeit the sad look of fasting, who speak evil of the creator of meats and greedily devour the daintiest, who teach that the man who plucks up this or that herb is changed into it. For if he who crops herbs or any vegetables changed into the same, into how many will husbandmen and the tribe of gardeners be changed? The gardener, as we see, has used his sickle against so many. Into which then is he changed? Verily, their doctrines are ridiculous and fraught with their own condemnation and shame. The same man, being the shepherd of a flock, both sacrifices a sheep and kills a wolf. Into what then is he changed? Many men both net fishes and lime birds. Into which then are they transformed? Let those children of sloth, the Manichaeans, make answer, who without laboring themselves eat up the laborers' fruits, who welcome with smiling faces those who bring them their food and return curses instead of blessings. For when a simple person brings them anything, Stand outside a while, saith he, and I will bless thee. Then, having taken the bread into his hands, as those who have repented and left them have confessed, I did not make thee, says the Manichae to the bread, and sends up curses against the Most High, and curses him that made it, and so eats what was made. If thou hatest the food, why didst thou look with smiling countenance on him that brought it to thee? If thou art thankful to the bringer, why dost thou utter thy blasphemy to God who created and made it? So again he says, I sowed thee not, may he be sown who sowed thee. I reaped thee not with a sickle, may he be reaped who reaped thee. I baked thee not with fire, may he be baked who baked thee. A fine return for the kindness. These are great faults but still small in comparison with the rest. Their baptism I dare not describe before men and women. I dare not say what they distribute to their wretched communicants. Truly, we pollute our mouth in speaking of these things. Are the heathen more detestable than these? Are the Samaritans more wretched? Are Jews more impious? Are fornicators more impure? But the Manichees sets these offerings in the midst of the altar as he considers it. And dost thou, O man, receive instruction from such a mouth? On meeting this man, dost thou greet him at all with a kiss? To say nothing of his other impiety, dost thou not flee from the defilement, and from men worse than profligates, more detestable than any prostitute? Of these things the church admonishes and teaches thee, and touches mire that thou mayest not be bemired. She tells of the wounds that thou mayest not be wounded, but for thee it is enough merely to know them. Abstain from learning by experience. God thunders, and we all tremble, and they blaspheme. God lightens, and we all bow down to the earth, and they have their blasphemous sayings about the heavens. These things are written in the books of the Manichees. These things we ourselves have read, because we could not believe those who told them. 
Yes, for the sake of your salvation, we have closely inquired into their perdition. But may the Lord deliver us from such delusion, and may there be given to you a hatred against the serpent, that as they lie in wait for the heel, so you may trample on their head. Remember ye what I say. What agreement can there be between our state and theirs? What communion hath light with darkness? What hath the majesty of the church to do with the abomination of the Manichees? Here is order. Here is discipline. Here is majesty. Here is purity. Here, even to look upon a woman to lust after her is condemnation. Here is marriage with sanctity. Here, steadfast continence. Here, virginity and honor like unto the angels. Here, partaking of food with thanksgiving. Here, gratitude to the creator of the world. Here, the Father of Christ is worshipped. Here are taught fear and trembling before him who sends the rain. Here we ascribe glory to him who makes the thunder and the lightning. Make thou thy fold with the sheep, flee from the wolves, depart not from the church. Hate those also who have ever been suspected in such matters, and unless in time thou perceive the repentance, do not rashly trust thyself among them. The truth of the unity of God has been delivered to thee. Learn to distinguish the pastures of doctrine. Be an approved banker holding fast that which is good, abstaining from every form of evil. Or if thou hast ever been such as they, recognize and hate thy delusion. For there is a way of salvation if thou reject the bonnet, if thou from thy heart detest it, if thou depart from them not with the lips only, but with thy soul also. If thou worship the Father of Christ, the God of the Law and the Prophets, if thou acknowledge the good and the just to be one and the same God, and may he preserve you all, guarding you from falling or stumbling, established in the faith, in Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.